Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. No Woody intro today. It's podcast day. Let's just do it. Yay. Podcast day. Podcast day. Yay. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Uh, Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, uh, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, boys. Howdy, Hi guys. Hi. Hi. Uh, before we get started, if you guys like the podcast, have questions about the podcast, um, comments, uh, anything else that you want us to know about, uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, P O L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. The podcast is on SoundCloud and uh, Google Play Music, Stitcher. Uh, most of you are on iTunes, so definitely like us, um, review us, share us through there. It helps tremendously. Um, and for our listeners, because we like you all so, so very much, and you're so loyal, nice people who share things because we tell you to share them, um, we partnered with uh, the great guys over at Predict It, which is a, a real money political prediction market. So you can think of it as a uh, stock market for politics. Uh, basically, you can uh, buy stocks in certain political events, um, you know, buy, sell at, at different amounts. What's really great for our listeners specifically, like I said, we like you guys this much. Um, Predict It is offering our listeners a promotion where if you open up an account uh, up to $20, they will match that. Uh, amount in your account. All you have to do is use the promotional link, which is uh, predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul2020 uh, and you'll be able to open an account through there and get your free money. Like I said, you deposit $20 and you get $20 in free money to bet on things. And we'd be getting some good... Uh, people love it. Yeah. They really enjoy Predicted. I don't like it right now because I've just lost money on everything that I've put money on. <laughs> but but the system itself is great. But somebody else is winning that money, Nick. Yeah, somebody is having a great time with That's my right. fucking money. It's yeah. phenomenal. Oh, Phil, God. you were we were before we went on air. You were talking about what was going on yesterday with the Kavanaugh and predicted. Yeah. Do you want to? It was pretty fascinating. <clears throat> yeah, it's been really interesting to watch as the over the weekend as the which we'll talk about uh, here in a few minutes. The as the Kavanaugh story developed um, and his accuser came out, it went from on predicted markets. It was like one of the things you can you can buy shares of is whether or not a SCOTUS nominee will be confirmed by the end of September. So we're looking, you know, a week and a half from now, two weeks. And it went from 85 percent. Yes. Or 85 cents for the yes shares. It dropped down as low as like 12, 15 cents, like this huge swing. Like I've seen other things move five, 10 cents. But this was this huge plummet. And it's come back now. It's now we were looking. It's like 60, 40, still 60 since saying that he's not going to get confirmed. So it was just That's really fascinating stunning. to watch yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, if you had been like on it, if you had bought 
that no, you know, no, he's not going to get confirmed late last week and then turned around and sold it on Monday, you would have made yeah. this huge profit. Mm-hmm. I, it was remarkable to see that big. I, I thought yeah, there would be huge. movement. I had no idea it was going to move that much. That speaks to what's going on with the broader confirmation process. People are moving their money, and I think that I, I, we'll talk about that whether it's going to play out or not. But that is that was really fun. That mm-hmm. was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely check that out when you guys have a chance. Yeah, like I said, um, no, I lost the thing. Predictit.org/promo/barstoolpaul20 and get your free money. That's right. Yeah. All right, let's jump into Kavanaugh. Before we do that, let me wish you guys a happy. Talk like a pirate day, Nick. Is it talk like a pirate day it already? Is, it is. That's the greatest day of the Yarr. year. <laughs> Are we doing that the whole podcast? Yo, Yarr. that's right. Wait till I start reading these intros in pirate voice. <laughs> mm. All right. So yesterday, the the confirmation of Judge <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court is Drink suddenly yes in doubt after a woman came forward to accuse him of sexually assaulting her decades ago while the two were in high school. Kavanaugh vehemently denies the allegation. Christine Blassie Ford, a professor in California, stands by her story and has taken a polygraph test and shared therapy notes to corroborate it. The Senate Judiciary Committee has announced that both will get their chance to testify publicly on Monday, although it's it's uh, not clear that Dr. Ford will show up. This is an explosive development that has parallels to Anita Hill's accusations against Clarence Thomas during his 1991 confirmation hearing. Trump is standing by his nominee, but one wonders how long that will be the case. The potential political fallout from this decision has to have Republicans shaking in their boots. Phil, nobody saw this coming. How do you see this playing out, and are there any good options for Republicans here? Go. <laughs> uh, you know, I, how I see it playing out, it, it, I've kind of gone back and forth. We were talking right before we went on the air, and, and you were saying you think they're still going to push him through. I think so. I, there was, I think, a lot of evidence this weekend that not that Republicans in Congress will shoot him down, but that Trump might withdraw or Kavanaugh might withdraw his name. So I, there's, I still think there's a chance that happens. Um, but over the last like two days to watch how the Republicans in the Senate have basically circled the wagons um, makes me think they're going to they're going to push this through. I, I think, again, if you look at how the Republicans have operated for the last two years, two and a half years, it's been very much a, you know, a, it's been a this winner take all mindset. And I think they see November as a significant deadline. There's a chance um, there's a, a decent, a good chance they're going to lose the House. There's a, a not insignificant chance that they will lose the Senate. It's not likely, but it's possible. And I think they want to get it done before then. And and the idea of pulling Kavanaugh, I mean, if Kavanaugh is is done, if he if he's if he withdraws, Trump will nominate someone oh, sure. very similar. There's a long um, list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think either way, they want to get it done by election day. I think they want to get it done sooner if possible because they don't. There's a chance that this could benefit them. Um, the Supreme Court is a, you know, it could help them get out Republican votes. But because of the way this is playing out on sexual assault lines and, and you know, uh, I think I think it might do more harm than good to have this still lingering come election time. Sure. Nick? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways. One is, you know, what will the Republicans do? A different question is what should they do? Uh, yes. And then and then the next question is, how is this all going to play out? There's going to be a, a ripple effect to whatever the Republicans do here. So so the Republicans, I was kind of surprised that they decided to to have a hearing almost immediately after these accusations came to light. Um, Senator Grassley specifically said that you will both have an opportunity to pretty much plead your case what is a little 
odd to me is that when that opportunity was presented, um, the professor said that I won't go to the hearing uh, unless there's an FBI, another FBI investigation prior to yeah. the hearing into Kavanaugh, which realistically, the FBI has vetted him through three different administrations at this point. And I would be very, very surprised if they didn't come across something like this. I think the timing is extremely suspect. Um, whether I'm not saying that the allegations themselves aren't necessarily true, but I think it could also be a a, a, a political football that the Democrats are are trying to take advantage of. Oh, certainly, right? Which yeah. realistically, uh, that uh, the whole thing is just bad. Well, the, but if yeah, you're the Republicans, there's enough doubt in, with all of those things. Say no, like we, you have the opportunity to plead your case. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. This is a legitimate person who's been nominated in, you know, by a, a sitting president. And that's how the process works. If you don't want to do that, then we're going to move forward with this nomination. The question then so, is, how will the court of public rep- opinion respond to that? So I think both to both of your points, the Republicans want to get this through as quick as possible. And they will. Yeah. I mean, so Monday, let's have the conversation, uh, you know, the, the hearings move forward, vote, get this done. The worst thing for Republicans is for this to linger. Now, what I can't decide is whether if they force her hand and they say, you get Monday or nothing, uh, does that come back to hurt them? Because this story isn't going to go away. And if there's more legs to this story, if more people start coming forward, and again, I I get why Republicans want to move quickly, this could really, really hurt them. But that, that I don't. This is. I mean. So okay. I, I'm going to argue against some some of the things that that you two are saying. Um, the the Democrats have handled this poorly, right? They, I mean, this was this was not done well by them. Mm-hmm. But there's no that there's no reason that this has to be rushed, right? right? Republicans are like, we want to cram this through. This is a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court, and the F- oh, reopening the FBI investigation is something that ha- has happened in the past. It's what happened with with Clarence Thomas. The FBI has people who are experienced in talking to both victims and and the accused of sexual assault and kind of analyzing these things and figuring out. I mean, this is the sort of thing where it is to everyone's advantage to figure out, right? I mean, there's all this kind of he said, she said stuff. Why rush through in that? Like, take the time to figure out, you know, actually do the investigation. Let them both come and talk if they want let, you know, actually analyze this and figure out whether or not he actually attempted to rape a woman when he was 17. That that seems significant. Like if 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 he is being honest when he says that I didn't do this, then why not do the investigation? And it, it seems ter- like a terrible idea to confirm him to the Supreme Court. And then three months from now, find out that, in fact, there was there were real legs to this story. And it just we just crammed him through so quickly. Then you have a person appointed to the Supreme Court that has legitimacy issues and all sorts of stuff. I, I don't I don't get I mean, I get the political logic of cramming him through. I don't get the the sort of larger logic of why this has to be done quickly and I, I th- oh go ahead no go ahead i think she has more leverage than some people think i mean they're saying well if you don't testify on monday you move past well there are political ramifications if republicans don't give her a chance to speak right. and if they rush this through and I, I i understand and i think it's it's 
I see her as genuine in the sense of not wanting to be a political actor. I, I don't think she wanted this from right. all behind the scenes accounts that she wanted to stay anonymous. She just wanted this to be shared with the committee. Didn't want to, and, and and that's brutal to have to go in front of the Senate Judiciary Hear, Hearing Committee, uh, especially to be cross examined in a political way. I mean, I, I understand why you don't want to do that, and I think she's got some leverage to say. I would like this done. I'd like this done differently. And if you try to rush this, I'm not going to show up. And then it's a hard choice for the Republicans. I don't think it is. I, I think I think there is enough, I don't, not evidence, but there's uh, enough plausible doubt yeah. in the way that everything is being handled and kind of orchestrated by the Democrats that I don't think it has almost any effect on Certainly not the Republican base and most Republicans at this point. Like, I, I just, the fact that, is it Feinstein or Feinstein? I never know. Feinstein, Feinstein? Right? Fine. Wait, I don't know. Now I'm fine. Because Trump Yar. always calls her the wrong name yeah. intentionally, and it gets in my head now. Yeah, Yar. <laughs> um, yeah, just, I, uh, the, the anonymity angle, the timing angle, and then... Like, they're going through his high school yearbook looking for evidence, and it's just fucking ridiculous. You're trying... Again, I'm not saying that the accusations are false, but you're picking at things that there's no direct evidence of, and that no one has found any direct evidence of, and probably can't because it's 30 fucking years old at this point. I'm not sure what evidence you're going to find. It's going to be extraordinarily difficult to prove this. The, the physical evidence will be difficult to find, but there's a lot of corroborating evidence. The fact that she's talked to her therapist about this like 12 years ago, she's talked to her husband, she's mentioned this to friends. Like, it's not something that she's, it, you know, that that would take a lot of premeditation to tell people 12 years ago on the chance <laughs> that someday, 12 years from now, Brett Kavanaugh is going to get nominated I'm gonna for something stick and that I can guy. screw him over, right? But why so now? Because like, he's I, nominated for the Supreme Court. Right, but like, he's passed judgment in hundreds and hundreds of cases. Like, there had to be a situation where you go, that can't, he's a shithead and shouldn't be doing Court that at all. The Supreme Court is different, though, right? Is, yeah, yeah, I, I understand it's different in in the sense that it is the Supreme Court, but he's a, a bad person, quote-unquote. Like, wouldn't... She's I, also... I, I, I don't I mean, know, go ahead. In, in the in the I mean, I think this conversation is exactly why why it hasn't come out yet. I mean, this conversation that the country has had about why hasn't she done this and where has she been? And there's no evidence. And I mean, these are questions that, you know, that if you're appointing a Supreme Court justice, you have to wrestle with. But she's it came out today or yesterday in the news that she's like had death threats and had to move yes. out of her house sure. and stuff. I mean, this is I there's she has nothing to gain. No. That's and the a thing. There's nothing to lose in this. So I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I think she wanted to never have to deal with this. I think, but she, she feels like she needs to say something. And it's interesting to me. Everybody, including Republicans, have treaded lightly on this. So Kellyanne mm-hmm. Conway was out almost immediately saying she should be heard. Trump yeah. himself has restrained himself from saying something obnoxious. He usually loves to attack the victim here. He hasn't done that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the Senate Republicans have done the same thing. Like, they get how how politically explosive this is. And so I wonder. I think you're right, Nick, that they, they want to move quickly on this. They want to get this through. But there's midterms coming up here. And this could be one of those divisive issues where if they move quickly on this and then it ends up blowing up in their face... They could lose the Senate because of this. I mean, that tends that that's one of these you know major issues where if I'm the Republicans now, I wonder why not just yank him? 
You know, th- yeah. like Phil said earlier, there are, you've got a whole host of ish, uh, of candidates who you know are going to be rock solid conservative votes. Why not just say, given the concern here, we're going to move on? I mean, at the yep. end of the day, who cares about Kavanaugh, right? I mean, he is. I understand that it's you know affecting his life and his family, but you're a big boy. You're up for the Supreme Court. This is what happens. Uh, move on. I mean, nobody cares about Merrick Garland anymore, right? Uh, why wouldn't Trump do that and just say? You know, for the sake of this, there might be some out of truth to these allegations. I'm, we're going to withdraw it and move on. Did you hear what be, you just said? Yeah. Do you ever assume that something like that is going to come out of his mouth? No, or no. any Or any member no, of Congress at this point? Mitch, Mitch McConnell. Why doesn't he say, like, it's not going to happen, Donnie? Because this is not about logic. This yeah. is about power and influence and your, your party, your team winning when you have the opportunity to win. Logic has completely gone yeah. out the window at this point. That could be The same way that... This is going to get rammed through is the same reason that the Democrats aren't saying shit about Keith Ellison at this point either. Like it's it's not it's not about we need to have a discussion about this and figure out what the truth is and make the process and the institutions better because of it. It's about power and influence. And it's it. I don't think it needs to be any more complicated than that. But if it's power and it's about control of the Supreme Court, you can find somebody else to be the same exact vote as Kavanaugh prior to the midterms. When there's oh, a chance yeah. that they could lose, I think the Senate is safe. I, I, I get there's it's a bit of a gamble, but it seems to me the downside of confirming and, and having this blow up. Maybe they find somebody in a couple of weeks who can corroborate this in a more meaningful way, and then all of a sudden it's not just Clarence Thomas; it's also Brett Kavanaugh. You have, I mean, that oh, in terms of the, you're right that it's not going to impact Trump's core supporters or most Republicans, but moderate voters, women. This is this is a oh, this is a flame here. Hmm. It, I just, it just doesn't I, I, No, I, I mean McConnell you talk about McConnell he he warned Trump early on like this was he told him that Kavanaugh was the least confirmable of the people he was considering because of issues in his past and various other things so I, that's where I you know McConnell is uh, he's a conniving little turd I think but he's pretty <laughs> he's pretty good at it right he's he's effective he's at what he does um and so that's where I don't yeah I don't I don't if if the goal if the whole idea of we have power if the whole goal of having power is to getting to get legislation passed I've been teaching realism in my classes right so it's all about like getting you know it's self-interest getting things, getting things done love it yeah yeah then 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 Kavanaugh is totally disposable right you what you want is a conservative justice yeah. on the Supreme Court and so rather than like risking all the baggage that comes with Kavanaugh why not move on to somebody else even somebody who might be even more sure. conservative but but is you know doesn't have these allegations this is this is not I mean, I, I know this is a, a public thing and, and Kavanaugh has been accused of something, but it's not a criminal trial. Right. I heard somebody this week say this is not a criminal trial. It's a job interview. Mm-hmm. And if you are doing a job interview and the person that you like you, someone tells you that, oh, they you know, they've been accused of rape, even if it was 30 years ago, you might go, well, there's other you know, there's a lot of qualified applicants. Sure. I can find someone who wasn't accused of rape. You know, that that that's the sort of logic that I don't that I don't I don't understand it seems like there are there are some damn good conservative justices right if you want a conservative justice on the Supreme Court there's somebody out there are a lot of them out there that are a cleaner path than this because like you said Bill if you confirm him and rush this through and then stuff comes out then you get you your hands are dirty with like not actually evaluating the claims and just cramming it through for the name of power. So I guess the the flip side of that is let's say that they do rescind the nomination or he, he rescinds himself. What happens if they if 
Trump nominates someone else prior to the midterms, they go through the process again and attempt to confirm him before that, and there's still an uproar from the Democrats. I think that's more of a... I don't know. That might be a good strategy for the Republicans, too. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Then it throws it back on the Republicans as opposed to the... To, I'm sorry. It throws it on the Democrats, not the Republicans. Right. If anything they can do to change this conversation has got to be in their interest. Hmm. And sticking sticking with Kavanaugh... And again, this is a tough call because you know I, her claims sound credible. I, I, I don't think there's any reason a woman makes this up. Why would you want to do this to yourself? He also, in his denial, seems credible, right? So it becomes this, it comes down to who seems more credible. And I don't know if you're going to get any clarity if each shares their side. Uh, and given that, if I'm the Republicans and Mitch McConnell, and I don't think Trump, because I don't think you're right, he's not using, I think you're right, he's not using logic. But McConnell could say, ain't going to happen, let's move on. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, I mean, one of the questions here is that, uh, you know, Jeff Flake came out mm-hmm. last whatever a couple of days ago and said that he won't vote to confirm until this is basically looked into further the question is whether or not having her inviting her on like three days notice to come testify to congress is enough to to pass by him whether or not he's actually going to you know follow through on what he says he said a lot of stuff um but yeah i mean that's i think there are a lot of variables here because the republic it's not just the Judiciary Committee, right? It's this bigger Senate vote in which the Republicans have an incredibly thin minority and elections are right around the corner. And so, you know, you've got Susan Collins, you've got all these other people who, the, if there's a lot of public pressure, then then that starts to call into question whether or not his vote would actually go through. And that's, again, where if Republicans can put forth a conservative justice, if the Democrats' only complaint is we don't like his politics... Yep. That's a that's something you can run on. But but that's not anyway, that that's that's an easier thing to combat as a Republican than than, you know, we don't like his politics. And there are these questions of whether he's told the truth or not, whether he's actually been thoroughly vetted. There are all these you know problems. And the Republicans, just for the sake of power, pushed him through. Well, that's the thing. Like, I my understanding is that the FBI briefed members of the committee on the background check that they did on Kavanaugh. The Republicans participated and no Democrats participated whatsoever and did not want to hear the information, which I personally would like to know what was included in that background check. I, you know, I I think it's sensitive information in this particular situation. I think it's worthwhile to have that out in the open. The fact that, again, it's just another component that kind of puts a bad taste in my mouth about this whole thing that no Democrats participated in that process realistically i don't think they would vote for anybody that the republicans put forward no um from yeah from a long-term perspective it probably is to their benefit to get rid of him and find someone else the republicans yeah Yeah. i I think it's we're so beyond the pale here that there's no there's no long-term strategy to be had anymore and it's they're looking for easy quick wins and no matter what that takes, I would almost guarantee that he's confirmed at this point. I will say I, I would predict that there's going to be a lot between now and when we tape next week. I, I think I think stuff's going to happen I, and it's going to be fascinating, mm-hmm. if, if troubling, to watch it all play out. I, 
I think, I, and you both think they're going to cram them through. I still think there's a good chance of that, but I think the odds that this goes down in some way in the next week um, are greater than than I think the two of you think it oh, is the case. I'll take that bet. Take that bet. <laughs> Go to predict it. <laughs> All right, should we jump? This to- is, I mean, Go ahead. We, we should move on, but yeah. I mean, this is again what we've talked about over over and over over the last year and a half. If, if the partisanship stuff is crazy, right? If you step back from this and you took all the labels off of it, if, if you were presented with this situation and you didn't know if it was a Republican nominee who had nominated this person or a Democrat, and you were just trying to figure out what's the right thing to do, what's the best thing to do, um, it it's to investigate further, right? You have accusations and, you know, they should be investigated. They should be looked into to see if this is true or not, because, you know, you know, we should know about a person that we're about to give a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. The fact that like that is to me such an obvious thing. It, it is it is not costly. You know, give it a couple of, uh, you know, give it another month. We can get have all the information before us when we make this decision is so obviously the right thing to do. And yet it's, you know, the, the partisanship gets so in the way it's it is infuriating yeah, to me. Mm-hmm. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys remember Friday? <laughs> do you remember back to Friday? That's a, it's, it's, no, I really Wednesday. <laughs> That's when Paul Manafort pled guilty and agreed to cooperate with Robert Mueller. That seems like weeks and weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, So Manafort pleaded guilty in federal court to one count of conspiracy against the United States and one count of conspiracy to obstruct justice due to attempts to tamper with witnesses. This caught many of us by surprise because Manafort had already fought through one trial and appeared to be a loyal Trump soldier. He had even earned Trump's praise for not being a flipper. Trump said he had such respect for a brave man. Manafort's cooperation deal means he will have to meet with the special counsel's office when they want to speak with him about other criminal activities, turn over all documents relevant to the investigation, testify when needed, and never lie to them. That's hard for Manafort. That's very hard. Because he's, he's a good liar. <laughs> what is truth? That's, <laughs> that's right. Oh, Rudy Giuliani came out yesterday and said Trump has nothing to worry about. It's all good. Phil, if you were Trump, would you be worried? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, Trump should be worried. I, the, the, Trump's response is, you know, the way he's responded to this, which is to say that it's terrible what they're doing to Manafort. It has nothing to do with Russia. It has nothing to do with me. Like The fact right. that he points that out. is, <laughs> Yeah, he should be worried. I mean, I think more so than with the Cohen thing, right? Cohen's deal was not even a cooperation deal. Right. It was you know, pled guilty to these things. They for, had Cohen think, dead to rights. Some, <laughs> yes. Yeah, in return for some leniency. I think Manafort has been the target for a long time, right? That that Mueller has been working on on him through these trials and everything. I think the fact that he held out so long, and then this was a pretty big surprise that all of the sudden, leading up to this other trial, he flips, takes this this cooperation deal, and pleads guilty to I don't I don't remember the exact. It was like conspiracy against the United States, right? Yeah, I mean, these yeah. are like serious charges that he has pled guilty to forfeits millions of 50 million dollars right yeah um properties like yeah i mean i think uh trump i'm trump i'm i mean manafort was in the room right if we go back to the meeting the 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 infamous meeting with the russian with don jr and manafort was in that room so i he i mean he knows if if trump was aware of this if you know one of the questions was there was a call made during that whether that was to Trump or from Trump Manafort knows all of that and and the the nature of this deal is such that yeah if he it, like 
fudges the truth even a little bit, right? He he goes to prison yeah. for a long time. So I yeah, I, Trump should be. I, I think this is the biggest you know feather in in Mueller's cap so far. He's he's a big fish, Nick. Yeah. Are you if you're in this situation and you're Trump, are you worried? I'm. Hmm. You you, you kind of have to be. Like I don't want to say yes, but yeah, you kind of have to be. Uh, it's uh, honestly, I was I was a little surprised yes. that this that this happened. Um, I I don't know what necessarily comes out of it. The fact that it's that wide range. Well, I mean, documents and not lying. I'm sure he's burned half the documents. This is going to lie anyways. But um, yeah, I mean, there aren't. There really aren't many people on that cork board with pictures and thumbtacks on it uh, above Manafort at this point. That's such if, a good point. If yeah. there's any any useful information in there, he's going to have it. So I, I'm I'm the other part of it is I'm a little shocked that Trump hasn't said more about it. He he's been vocal about you know it's terrible what they're doing to him, but since this development, he. I don't know. He seems very, very subdued about it. Do you think that he finally realizes no. the grab? <laughs> the grab? Because you're right. Both with you know our first topic and with this, he hasn't lashed out. I mean, he's done his usual like witch hunt stuff. Yeah. But he's been somewhat restrained, and it makes me wonder whether he's either not worried or whether he's Someone really worried. Oh. Right. No. That 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 finally like the fact that Manafort is flipping because it's not just Manafort he's, it's Manafort Cohen Gates Flynn pa- mm-hmm. I mean everybody around him now is testifying for Mueller and the question who's the bigger fish is he doing all of this for Don Jr is that worth it I mean I, I, I'm trying to figure out we don't know I mean Mueller knows all but what's the bigger catch is it it's got it's Trump or who else is worth giving Manafort who's right. You know, Manafort's a big deal. You stick that guy in jail for the rest of his life, that's a win. You walk away happy. Yeah, it, it it's it's for people in the inner circle. And by inner circle, I mean family, right? It mm-hmm. has to be, you know, Don Jr. or, or Jared. Jared or but Don or Donald Trump, right? That, that nobody yeah. else would be worth giving Manafort leniency on. Yeah, there's nobody left, right? I mean, right. that's the thing. There's, there's nobody above them unless... Unless Mueller just wants the true story of what's going on to mm-hmm. say, like, I'm not necessarily going to prosecute anybody, but I want to know everything that took place. Yeah. And then I guess the defense is, well, Trump was outside of all of that information. It's unlikely. This has got to be really, really bad for Trump. I mean, do you, do you think he realizes that, though? Trump? Yeah. I think he's I, I think he realizes he's in he's in deep now. Yeah. You think I, I yeah. sort of think he believes his own. Yeah, crap. He creates the, the, his own the reality. whole idea that this is a witch hunt. There was nothing bad that happened. Um, I I think he said it so much that he believes it. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, that's that's bad for him too. Because <laughs> 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 his campaign chairman, his national security advisor, his <clears throat> deputy camp ch- campaign chairman. I mean, his all lawyer. of these lawyer is lawyer. All of these people. I mean, the legal. Oh, they're circling around him. I, I mean, if the the goal is to get to the kids, I don't know if the kids actually know that much. Oh, Eric, really, nothing. Eric, I think nothing. They're, that guy can't tie his shoes. Really, yeah. really dumb. Yeah, real dumb. Don Jr. Yeah, I, I think don't he's, think he's dumb. Uh, he's slick, man. No, I don't think he's slick, despite the hair. <laughs> but um, it's uh, when you look at like the the email exchanges, uh, yeah. like with the the Russian operatives and, yeah. and things like that. It's not. 
this kind of coy kind of covert language it's exclamation points and like three right. were it, it, I, I i'm not i'm still not convinced that he knew exactly what he was doing or what that would potentially lead sure. to which is that I, I mean there is a big difference there manafort and everyone else who has been indicted at this point that's a different story yeah but i'm not sure the kids are a big enough um what's the word it's it's not good enough bait to get trump to chomp down on it that means that who's left is trump right. then yeah which is a big deal in and of itself that right if this be, is yeah uh, yeah no i i it's funny how quickly that story fades because on friday this was yeah. friday and saturday this was the story this is a huge story yes. and it's not getting much coverage yeah no now, phil you want to talk briefly about uh the pressure and the way in which yeah. Mueller is is kind of hooking manafort why don't you explain yeah. to the listeners so the the I mean the the plea deal that was struck was very clearly as you know legal analysts who have read it talk about it was clearly set up to prevent a Trump pardon. So the idea that Trump you know that that Manafort is now in trouble and he's going to flip on Trump and that Trump could pardon him to release that pressure. Um, this plea deal was set up with very specific clauses in it that prevent that from happening. That if he's ever pardoned he can be that the that uh, the prosecutors can go back and charge him with crimes that that you know the crimes that he was um that there was a that they were deadlocked in the last trial that anything that he admits to in the like at this point forward he can be tried with so even you know even if he hasn't been charged with something if in the cooperation he talks to prosecutors about something and then trump pardons him in an in, for other crimes they can go back and charge him with those uh, the asset forfeitures um he has agreed to forfeit even if he's pardoned. So there yeah. are all these things that were set up to basically prevent Trump from interfering, right, from pardoning him, which seems brilliant on the part of Mueller. And, and, and clearly, like, he understands the lay of the land and the chance that <laughs> he gets. Trump. And I should have to say, I had some I had bought some shares. We're talking about predicted on on Trump pardoning Manafort by the end of the year. And those are now worthless. <laughs> because of this <laughs> So I, I what the thing I wanted to talk about is that I I saw um, there have been some there's been some debate in the legal community about whether this is eth ethical or not, um, and I think it's really interesting because I am not sympathetic to Manafort. Like in this specific case, I think oh that's that's brilliant what Mueller did, right? Trump might pardon him. You you set this plea deal up to sort of um, see that in advance, but the 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 problem is, if you step back from this particular instance, you have a situation in which the president is given the power of pardon, right, of clemency, um, to deal with, you know, people who have been prosecuted either unfairly or, you know, have some some sort of extenuating circumstance. I, the pardon has been, I think, abused in, in the past. But the whole idea is that, uh, you know, this is a power given to the president for a purpose. And so... I, I kind of wonder if this is a bad precedent, right? If you have a prosecutor who strong arms uh, somebody into signing mm -hmm. uh, away all their rights to basically create a plea deal in which they can't possibly, there's no possible intervention. I mean, if it was an unjust situation, right? If somebody has been uh, accused of a crime and strong armed into a plea deal uh, by a corrupt prosecutor, the idea that the prosecutor would create a, a way in which the president can't even undo this is really deeply problematic. So I'm really torn point. up about yeah. this. Like, mm -hmm. I, it, I get why he's done it, and I, I sort of applaud Mueller for it, but I also see the ethical problems with it. I say shut it down. It's all, <laughs> it's all pointless. It's all no, yeah, it's all corrupt. I, I think this, this is the way the 
federal government works, right? Especially, I mean, the FBI. I mean, this is what happens. You know, my dad and I always talk about this. Like, if the if if the if you're getting interviewed by a federal officer, you're screwed, right? Because they know everything. You're yeah. in trouble, and no matter what you try to do to get out of that, they're going to crush you. Mm-hmm. So this feels to me like this is this is what happens when the federal government comes after you. It just happens to be that the federal government is now coming after the president of the United States and his close associates. So, I, you know, philosophically, I am sympathetic to the point you're making, Phil. I, I get that, but I think that's got to be the the pattern of how they work, don't you think? Or is this? You think this is novel? No, I'm. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know enough about you know yeah. federal prosecutions to know this, but. I, I can't imagine that most federal prosecutions, <laughs> when they sign a plea deal, include like preemptive clauses to prevent the president That's from pardoning. That's true. That's a right? really so good this has happened in this case because there is a real belief that the president might pardon. Yeah. And so I'm sympathetic for that reason. Right? Yeah. Trump has made it clear that he's willing to interfere in this. Um, and and so the, I think this is back to the whole like Trump has to be like, ultimately he's the target, target. of the investigation. Yeah. Right. So. When he's the target of the investigation and also has the power to derail the investigation, maybe the ex- the circumstances are extenuating, and so doing this sure. makes sense because the 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 person who ultimately you're after has powers above and beyond what a normal person would have to interfere in the election. I mean, sorry, in the investigation. Um, that's and that's an important point to say that there's the precedent is going to be limited because going forward, the only way this would apply is to future presidents. I can't imagine that most federal prosecutors think about pardons no. when they're when they're doing plea deals. Mm-hmm. Mueller is way smarter than Trump and his kids. <laughs> this is that that's the thing that sure. makes me think that somebody's somebody's in deep deep doo doo now. <clears throat> it just seems to be over. Yeah. I, as we talked about that, I come back around to it. It's got to be he's after Trump, yeah. right? That's this this the Manafort the the way the the plea deal was set up makes it clear that he's after Trump, yes. right? He's trying to prevent Trump from undermining an investigation into himself. It's got to be. It's got to be. Because who else? Who else are you going after? I I am I am. I, I, I should be clear. I, I don't think that Mueller set out to get Trump. I don't think he's right. after Trump. Let's in make that, that distinction. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. I don't think he's after him in that sense. I think that the investigation he's trying to figure out about Russian involvement in the election, and I think the evidence has taken him towards Trump. And Trump has not helped his cause no. by continuing to intervene and to tweet and to make comments and to fire James Comey and all of that stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know that it began that way or that his that was his goal from the beginning. But I think that's where the investigation yeah. has taken. Mm-hmm. We should talk beer. Yeah, this was this was is good. exhausting. <laughs> Phil, you're drinking some some very uh, black tar looking beer. So I <laughs> so tell us about I, it. <laughs> I went into my local beer store. I don't know last week and said, "Give me some different stuff." <laughs> the guy handed me all sorts of stuff, um, and so I'm drinking uh, a beer com- from Founders Brewing mm-hmm. Company, which uh, I don't know where that is. Do either of you know where that is? I don't know where it's is, but it's I've had it many, I see, many you times. You see it all over the place, yeah. So, um, this is their Backwoods Bastard, hmm. which is an ale aged in oak bourbon barrels. And I know how you oh. feel about barrel aged beers, yeah. Both of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> this beer gets tremendous reviews when you Google it online and you look at like Beer Advocate and all of that. It has outstanding reviews. I do not like this beer. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, I don't, I don't even mind the aged, the the barrel aged stuff. This is this doesn't have um, a particularly bourbony flavor. It's got like a Scotch flavor. It's got kind of that peat smoke to it. Um, and I like scotch, but I don't want my beer to taste like that. So <laughs> it's pretty, it's, it's almost a little pungent. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure <laughs> it's great. Worse. I'm sure people love it, but it is not my type of yeah. beer. Just, <laughs> I, I, having said all that, I'm going to finish it. But, you know, it was, it was, it's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you, it's not, this is not a beer you would drink after you mowed the grass. That is for sure. <laughs> that might be the worst review, review we've had. That's pretty, it was a pretty bad one. I'm going to finish it. <laughs> Nick, what are we drinking? Uh, we're, I, I mean, it's it was 90 degrees out today, and I, I really don't want summer to end. So we were having a bunch of grapefruit shandy, and then you were having... I had a half-acre tuna. Yeah, things oh. that we've had before. Yes. That, so we figured this is... tuna-flavored beer? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Delicious. So it's the end of summer, so Nick and I thought we would celebrate summer with the grapefruit shandy, uh, which is wonderful. And again, my right now, my absolute favorite beer... Actually, all of my favorite beers are coming out of half-acre from Chicago, but they're tuna extra pale ale it's the best beer out there they make i love it i love it nick and i know you love it as much as i do but not as much it is it's just it's wonderful <laughs> what makes it an extra pale ale i don't know i have no idea um extra pale ale i don't know extra pale is used to describe me a lot <laughs> <That's> right <laughs> transparent uh, pale ale yeah. um if you uh, want to find the beers that we try on the podcast, uh, download the Untapped app uh, on iOS and Android. Um, you can follow us on there. We're just Barstool Politics. Uh, everything that we try is on there. We review everything, um, and I think you can kind of check in and yeah. like what we what, like we what we try. That's so, wonderful. Yeah, do yeah. that. Speed round. Woo. All right. Topic number one on Monday, President Trump ordered law enforcement and intelligence officials to declassify documents related to the Russian investigation for uh, he said for reasons of transparency. The president ordered the immediate declassification of selective portions of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act application on former Trump foreign policy aide Carter Page, him in his fancy hat. Trump also ordered the release of fully unredacted text messages related to the Russian investigation from former officials he's continually attacked because of their connections to the investigation, including James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Stroke, Lisa Page, and Bruce Orr. Uh, Phil, this is just the president being super duper transparent with the American people, right? right. Nothing yeah. to see here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Trump is a big advocate of transparency. <laughs> yes. I'm sure he'll release his taxes any moment now. So I, <laughs> the, I saw somebody pointed out today that there, the, the order to do this doesn't actually exist, that they released a statement, mm -hmm. but he hasn't actually signed oh, off. Oh, is on that anything. right? Oh, yeah. that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so whether he'll actually get I mean, they, they just, this is an example of where they don't, they just, I was going to say they don't know what they're doing, but they don't act the way regular administrations act in, in which you would sign something and then make a, release a statement about it. This is deeply troubling. <laughs> this is bad. This is bad. The president of the United States, he, he does technically have the right to do this, right? He has the right to yep. declassify stuff, to order its release. The fact that he was selective about releasing, you know, certain pages that are going to look good for him. The fact that he the the text messages are more. Cons I mean, the, the FISA warrant, the FISA application is problematic. The fact that he would see like single out people who have been critics and then release their text message records unredacted with possible, you know, personal information and all sorts of yeah. other stuff. It is just a blatant personal attack on people 
who are involved in the Russia investigation. I, I think of all the things he has done, this is the most obvious abuse of power of, of any of them. Dude, that's big. That's a big, that's a big one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nick. I, I mean, this just kind of came out of left field. Yeah. Like it's, it's definitely bizarre. Um, I'm not sure in the end it matters. I, I, I don't, we've known enough of the information that's come out of all of these people to already have formed our opinions. And again, sided with our teams. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't think that there's going to be any juicy tidbits that come out of this that swing people's opinions. So at that point, why would you do it in the first place besides to stroke your own ego and mm-hmm. just to create a smokescreen for everything else that's going on? Which realistically is his tactic with everything. Sure. If there's something more important going on, create some sort of you know fake crisis, and now that other one doesn't seem so important anymore. Sure. I I. I, I there just doesn't seem to be any logic behind this. You you may not want to say it, but I I'll just say they don't know what they're doing in this particular situation. <laughs> yeah. Trying to be even-handed. No. Yeah. <laughs> if you step back and you look at illiberal democracies around the world, what makes them bad democracies is that the leaders use their democratic institutions to pursue their own political ends, right? So you, you know, like Russia or Venezuela or these other countries, they have democratic institutions, but the leaders use those institutions to punish their opponents. Well, they have to, because it's all fake news. Well, Nick. (laughs) But this feels like, and I, I, I agree with Phil, the first time that the president is openly using his power to use the American democratic institutions to target political opponents here. He is saying, I have the power to release these documents. I'm going to do so, not because he wants to get to the truth of the matter, but because he wants to fire uh, Bruce Orr. He's worried about Bruce Orr, you know, James Comey and all these other individuals. He wants to, to target them. And again, these are all, these aren't political operatives. These are bureaucrats. And I think that matters. And, and James Comey was, you know, we could we could have a long conversation about whether he was a good FBI director, but he was a bureaucrat. And now the president is targeting these bureaucrats, and it's it's bad. It's really, really bad. Well, now it, you're uh, making it different, because if we can fire some more bureaucrats, and I'm not necessarily <laughs> not on board with this process. <laughs> it's a reason, Nick, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the, the 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 stuff that he is declassifying. There there is a an elaborate process set up in which people decide classification levels and have decided what should be classified and what shouldn't. And the president is overriding that, which again yeah. is a presidential power. I think we could debate whether or not that should be a presidential power, but it is a power. But this is, I mean, what is clearly happening is that Donald Trump is putting his personal um, fortunes above the national security right this is not about national interest it's about it's about him and and you're right it's it's an example of a leader who sort of views the state who views government as his own right as like a personal property or as a business that his job is not to represent or to do what's in the best interest of the american people it's to do what's in his own personal best interest i i, I this is i this is deeply troubling to me and we should point out this has rarely happened in the history of the united states like this doesn't happen uh, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever declassified FISA reports, and it's not only relevant for this case, but going forward, this could be problematic. Where they said that future FISA warrants, like defendants, could could argue that they want to get access to this document because Trump has declassified do, previous ones. Do we again step back from it, take away all the labels off of it, the party labels? Do we want to set a precedent in which the president of the United States? 
can publicly release text messages of people he doesn't like. Yes. Right? That is from just a sort of civil liberties standpoint. That is that is. Yeah, that's that's terrifying. I'll be curious to see if he actually follows through and releases them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he just forgot. Yeah. They'll take it off his desk. So he desk got right. That's right. right. Yeah. He got busy with a hurricane. That, 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 that hurricane was wet. Brilliant transition, Barker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of hurricanes, as Hurricane Florence was hitting the East Coast, President Trump was still obsessing about Hurricane Maria that hit Puerto Rico last year. Trump stated that Hurricane Maria's death toll of nearly 3,000 Americans was inflated in order to do him political harm. In a pair of tweets on Friday evening, Trump said the number of people estimated to have died as a result of the 2017 storm in Puerto Rico went up like magic. And there's no way the death count is actually so high. He first surfaced this new conspiracy theory on Thursday, suggesting that Democrats had somehow inflated the death toll in order to make him look bad. What really happened is that in August, researchers at George Washington University published an independent report saying that 2,975 people died in Puerto Rico as a result of Hurricane Maria from September 2017 to February 2018. Puerto Rico's government commissioned the GWU study, and they have accepted the estimate and updated their official death toll from Hurricane Maria accordingly. We haven't spent much time talking about Puerto Rico, but the death toll is truly stunning, and the president's reluctance to acknowledge it equally troubling. Phil, get us going. (laughs) (laughs) Comment. Comment. I I mean, this is, I mean, this is insane. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the the idea that, uh, so, I mean, I think back comparing it to Katrina, right? And and Katrina was a divisive issue. The, The Bush administration, I think, didn't handle it well. There were lots of debates and discussions about whether they handled it well, whether it was poor government. Um, intervention, whether that was at the local level or the federal level, but there wasn't an attempt to sort of deny the facts, yeah. right? To deny the realities. This, this in some ways shows how far we've come. That rather than actually debating about the death toll and why why this happened or why this disaster occurred or what could have been done differently or you know the Trump administration did what they could, but you know rather than having that sort of discussion about it just to deny the fact of it, just to pretend that this never happened. Really, I mean, I think it really is a statement uh, to show how far we've come in a period of of a a little over a decade, right, since Hurricane Katrina and the ways in which Trump, uh, you know, we've talked about this in the past, whether Trump is creating this sort of (laughs) post-truth world or whether he's just a symptom of it. But I, I think it really does say something about how far we've come. And it it was really shocking to me to see him just essentially that this this is not this is not the case right Dem- this is democrats yeah. and and people who was it somebody in his administration was talking about how that number is inflated because a lot of those deaths were the, f- domestic the FEMA direct violence. one of the FEMA high level officials yes yeah that in fact that wasn't it wasn't because of poor government involvement it was because spousal after the disaster abuse. yeah husbands beat their wives to death and so you can't blame that on on Trump that's insane that's insane I don't I don't care I'm sorry I'm continuing to go <laughs> Phil's like, lathered just, up just to have some empathy right yeah. just talk about how that's this is awful I don't I don't yeah well it's, I mean it's really weird even in this situation we've talked about it before he's he's a victim of his own personality and his inability to. Uh, provide nuance to any situation even if you believe this in your head the statement that you should come out with is this number doesn't necessarily match up with our figures you know we're going to open an investigation into this and review the study and 
you know, again, revise what our figures are. Um, you know, we're doing everything we can in the meantime to help the people of Puerto Rico, blah, 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 blah. In the background, you can go, no, this is complete bullshit. You know, it's a bunch of people that are beating their wives and, you know, get, uh, apparently getting run over by cars or eaten by wolves or something. But um, wolves are a big problem. Yeah, wolves are Rico, huge in it's, Puerto Rico. It's, um, it's like there, there's you can you can make these points and you can do it well. I'm not saying that I agree with it, but this constant inability to understand the best way to play the game is really hampering his administration. You could be infinitely more successful and still you could be an evil genius doing what you're doing right now and just put a, a, a different spin on it. Uh, that's um, an important point. Yeah. <laughs> Especially given that it's not fair to hold him responsible. I mean, Puerto no. Rico is a unique place where when a hurricane hits like this, two hurricanes in a row, it is a unique challenge to the country. Mm -hmm. And we can have that conversation. How do we address the infrastructure needs? How do we address the, the the reality that Americans don't think of Puerto Rico as part of the country? Like, all of these are legitimate debates. But when you come out and say, like, oh, that that's a made-up number, it's you lose credibility. It was... And, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, go it, ahead. It was... It was this particular hurricane where they had the um, the utilities company come in that had like 20 people or something that could obviously not handle the, the work in Puerto Rico that yeah. was related to some sort of Trump entity or Trump appointee that was like from the Midwest or something. That Do you remember seems, that? That all seems right, Nick. I can't I don't remember, remember any of the specific details. <laughs> well, I, mean, I could be completely wrong. But I'll look can't. into the figures and revise it if it's untrue. Yeah. You can't I mean, you can't separate this from the fact that Puerto Rico asked for help and FEMA aid and were denied by yeah. the by the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like it's not just that. Yeah, I mean, it's it is a difficult situation, but to 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 claim that that this is all made up when when the Trump administration had opportunities to intervene and, and didn't. Um, to do this in the midst of another hurricane, right? Mm. To to as a hurricane is bearing down on the Carolinas to make these statements about how, you know, those lying assholes in Puerto Rico are making up stuff about how we didn't help them. I, it's just it's so so much of what Trump does is just so different from anybody else that it's hard to wrap your head around. Mm. Like I, the the just the the desire to just say the right thing, which yeah. is to say, hey, this report came out and. You know, we just we dispute it, but we're ready for the next one. We've learned our lessons. Like, I, it's just it's so different. Well, I think what, that's part of what people like about him. But it, it's yeah, it drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. well, and what's particularly telling, I don't know if you guys have been watching him on Twitter. He's tweeting nonstop about the current hurricane. I mean, he is retweeting and tweeting, which suggests to me that he gets that he's getting attacked for for the Puerto Rico response. And so he's trying to be proactive, saying, we're doing everything. We're out there. We're, we hear you. Uh, I mean, it is. Uh, he's not an idiot. He gets that. There, he's got to move forward on that. There's also this factor that we've talked about a lot about whether Trump is a racist, right? Like, there's, a, there's it also matters that this hurricane hit North Carolina and not Puerto Rico, right? This is, and that's not just Trump. That's right. America in general. Yeah. I mean, they, you're right. There are these things that we need to talk about as a country. I, I mean, and, I, I would think most people don't even know that Puerto Rico is a, a, a U.S. territory. Right. I, I, I think what? that the infrastructure, what? Yeah, you know what? that? <laughs> <laughs> it happened like last week. It's fairly new. Oh. Um, I, I, I'm not sure it's a race thing. I think it's an unwillingness to care about anything that isn't in your immediate backyard 
Um, yeah. And I, I, you could say that about most people in the country. If it's <clears throat> not readily apparent to you or the people on the screen don't reflect who you are in the most basic sense that you just you don't care. Yeah. I, I think that's true. I mean, yeah. it's this is this is I, I I think about Harvey in Houston versus Florence in, in the Carolinas. Yeah, I'm from Houston, and so and I have family there, so I paid tons of attention to it. And and Florence, it seems like this massive hurricane hit the wettest hurricane in history from a water standpoint. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and it it seems a little bit like it's kind of not really in the news, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, I know it's in the news, but yeah, I yeah. mean, it's 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 we're from Chicago, I'm from New Hampshire, and it's kind of off our radar. Mm-hmm. And we need to move on, but also thinking about the strategic threats that face this country, and we think about 9/11, the death toll there, think about the death toll in Puerto Rico. They're not that far apart. And this really is the threat, I think, for many Americans now is climate change. And we're not talking not real. about that. Not it's real. not real. Why no, are you bringing no, this honestly, up? Okay, fine. We I'll talked about this. All right, fine. <laughs> Next time we're talking about it, Nick. <laughs> All right, so this, I'm excited about this topic. So there is a new insurgent left wing of the Democratic Party that is capturing headlines and winning elections. Most prominent among this group is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who won the Democratic primary for the 14th District of New York. This group of Democratic Socialists emphasizes universal health care, higher taxes on the rich, rich, the abolition of ICE, yet they don't spend much time talking about foreign policy. And that's a, that's a major flaw in this podcast. Uh, there's an almost indifference to the issue of foreign policy. Uh, recently, uh, Alexander Cortez recently dismissed questions about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict by claiming that she was, quote, not an expert on geopolitics on this issue. The New York Times ran a pretty fascinating piece by uh, Daniel Bessner, a historian of American foreign policy, calling on this group to think more about foreign policy and articulating what a foreign policy of democratic socialists might look like. Phil, isn't it time that these democratic socialists put their heads together and come with a, up with a coherent foreign policy platform? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell so, them I mean, what I, that should look like? <laughs> so I, I, I want to start by uh, by challenging. I, I mean, this has been the news story of yeah. this kind of new sort of far progressive democratic socialist boom in, in America. And and the news has focused on a handful of those candidates. But I, I think it's I think it's the, the focus is out of proportion with the reality. Mm-hmm. I think the, the majority of candidates who have been winning are pretty mainstream Democratic candidates. I think the Democratic Party is moving to the left, but I don't think that this is the norm by any means. Um, I think it's easy to point at, you know, Bernie Sanders and a few others and, and think that this is, you know, the new Democratic Party. So I, the first thing I want to say is that I don't, I, I don't think it's as significant of a shift as a lot of people think. But, but yeah, I mean, this is a problem and it's not, it's not just a far left problem. We as Americans tend to think about domestic politics over foreign politics. We don't foreign policy is less important when we're electing leaders, right? George W. Bush was not a foreign policy guy. He made that clear. A lot of our leaders. Thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're not the, the some of the, the most successful politicians basically back away from that. But if you want to run for national office, if you want to be president or if you want to be involved in 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 Congress, who is involved in foreign policy making, you you need to think about this stuff. Right. This is not local government. You have to you have to consider how you want to view the world, how you want to interact with the world. And so, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to think about this. I think it's 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 um, 
I don't know. It, it's laudable that she said, I don't know enough about this rather than just mm-hmm. saying something. But um, yeah, I mean, if you want to be a national political actor, you need to think about, you know, Israeli-Palestinian relations. Mm-hmm. Um, the article that you sent was, was that the New York Times article that yes, you sent me? Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was foreign policy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not that hard to come up with some basic arguments about shrinking the size of the U.S. military, about emphasizing international institutions, about, um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that you could say that aren't necessarily all that far out there that it seems like, you know, that line up pretty clearly with democratic socialist ideas. And, and yeah, I mean, they, they, they need to think about that. Nick, you hate the new left I and do. you love foreign policy. <laughs> so let me, let me just both tee this, of those tee things this, are true. Tee this up for in you. my reality. Um, no, I think they're empty vessels. Yeah. I, 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 I think that the points that they make are uh, worthy of debate. If you want to talk about universal health care, increasing taxes on the rich, tell me how you're going to get there. Yeah. I have yet to hear a policy, a, a domestic policy on how you're going to do any of that, let alone the ability to come up with a geopolitical strategy to deal with NAFTA and a changing EU and the ascent of China and just the 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 myriad of issues that we talk about on a daily basis that they I have yet to hear any sort of inkling of a strategy or platform on this from any of them. Realistically, I think this is the same shift that we see on the right, we see on the left, um, where there's not a lot of substance to the candidates who are coming into, I, w- I won't say the mainstream, but coming into the spotlight uh, at this point. I think it's novel. I think they could potentially have some good ideas. If you want to tell me those ideas, I am more than willing to listen. Mm-hmm. But thus far, I, you haven't told me a damn thing that sets you apart from anyone. And you just seem like another again, empty vessel that is not worth my time listening to. And I I think while uh, Ocasio-Cortez has been kind of the poster child of this, any other candidate or um, uh, race that she supported, those candidates have gotten trounced in those elections. It's, they're they're not, as much as they want to see a drastic shift in, the policy, domestic policy, and I would I would hope foreign policy that is currently in place, you have to know what system you're getting into to affect change. You can't just say, well, this is wrong. I need something different. Show me the process that you're going to do it or how you're going to change it. I, I, I again, have not seen any of that take place thus far. And some of this is a reflection of the American political system, which doesn't care about foreign policy views. So it's, I think Phil pointed out, you can run for president and not have a fully articulated foreign policy vision. George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, it's the economy, stupid. And so if you're running for Congress, you don't have to have all of those details. I still would like to see this group have a some more discussion. What I do see them discussing is trade. And I will say I'm a little troubled by some of their discussions of trade. I think it it mimics a lot of the the overly simplistic views that the far right has on trade. And mm-hmm. I think both the far left and the far right see trade as this evil thing that you can just stop. And And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some more nuance about the way in which the state balances the ups and downs of the global marketplace. I'm all for that. You know, hey, give me Sweden. I'm okay with that. But both of them, Bernie on the left and I think Trump on the right, uh, I just I, I struggle with that. And I think other than trade, this group hasn't engaged in a way yet. And maybe that's just the political system. Uh, maybe it's it's an indifference to it. But, uh, yeah, more needs more discussion needs to be had. I, can I be a nerdy political scientist sure. for a minute? Yeah. <laughs> 
I think this whole discussion, I hadn't thought about it until we were in this, but I, um, I know you, are you used to at least in your foreign U.S. foreign policy class, use this Michael Roskin article about yes. generational paradigms? Yes, yeah. love I still paradigms. use that article. I use that article too. This idea that there are these sort of generational swings between like American involvement in the world and American sort of isolationism, yes. and it really feels like we're in the midst of this kind of swing back after the after the Iraq War and Afghanistan and all of this other stuff. There is this movement especially amongst sort of younger americans to to say that hey we need to you know we need to quit being the world's police we should, this isn't worth it we need to withdraw and it, it you really see it you see it on both sides right yeah. you see it on the on the on the democrat side you see it on the republican side you see it in the opposition the criticism of hillary clinton and her presidential campaign and and it's a little it's a little concerning. I, I don't I don't think that we necessarily need to be you know, involved in this like heavy handed way in the world. But if you're going to be sort of isolationist or you're going to pull back a little bit, that should be grounded in an understanding of of international politics and why that is the best role for the U.S. And it it doesn't it feels kind of reactionary at this point. I, I, I mean, this the thing about it from my perspective and for my generation is you can talk about the the paradigm shift from a historical perspective and previous administrations and how they've handled globalization and things like that uh, or um focusing on domestic politics more than foreign policy we're not we don't have that luxury as much as previous generations or administrations have had we are integrally involved in this to a point where we can't separate ourselves from it at this point so this should be top of mind for for anybody that's moving into the political sphere that's part of the millennial generation or anybody that's going to come after that because this is not going to change you can you know finagle it a little bit shift it here and there but you're not you cannot have that simplistic view where you can just focus on foreign policy anymore everything is dependent on international and global trade which means that foreign policy comes along with that which means international conflict which means that you need to have a strategy for all of those things and the connections between them uh, the divide this is a great point nick the divide between domestic and international politics has gone away mm -hmm. our you know our foreign policy is connected to our domestic policy and that's why i think the and i get why the why these candidates aren't appealing to foreign policy but the reality is that the country as a whole has to have that conversation phil i love that you referenced paradigm shifts and, and oh I, I think you're right it's it's on both the left and the right is a pulling back assuming trade is dangerous the world is dangerous we don't need to do this and it's i think very there's, scary the, the, there's some really strong data that well the free market can cause dramatic ups and downs we all benefit from this economists are pretty clear on this so i, I think this is an important conversation this is a damn good transition to our next topic <laughs> yes <laughs> it is all right so we, we're running long on time we should probably just do one of the two so let's so either we should we should do trump cutting the world off right sure yeah okay all right i, I think that. it ties into what we just said. Yeah, all right excellent on Monday, the Trump administration took a few more steps to cut the U.S. off from the rest of the world. The first move came on trade, where Trump announced another $200 billion in tariffs on China. Trump tweeted, Tariffs have put the U.S. in a very strong bargaining position with billions of dollars in jobs flowing into our country. If countries will not make fair, fair deals with us, they will be tariffed. <laughs> He's the best. Tara. Then later in the day, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced that the United States will admit no more than 30,000 refugees in the coming fiscal year. This is the lowest number in years and a significant drop from the 45,000, which was the, the last year's number, a record low. 
Over the last decade, the number of refugees admitted to the U.S. has fluctuated from a low of 48,000 in 2007 to a high of 84,000 in 2016. There's a lot of talk of Trump's attempt to build a wall to keep others out of the U.S., yet I would argue these actions have an even bigger impact. Phil, are these the actions of a global hegemonic power? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, this this is it's really a nice transition from what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. right? About how the the desire to pull away from the world is, while maybe understandable, is really seemingly impossible in this day and age, right? The, the idea that that we can somehow separate ourselves from China, that we can make and do everything we need here is is a notion of a bygone era right that is not that's just not the way the the world works it i I mean i think one of the interesting thing i mean all of this stuff it you you see this interesting divide on the the refugee situation well i mean so talk about tariffs first and foremost it's sort of short-sighted right this notion of we're gonna punish china china does not play fair right trump's complaints about china are valid they don't play fair economically speaking but the um, imposition of tariffs doesn't doesn't solve that problem, right? It's a much more complex problem that has to be uh, has to be dealt with. So we imposed these tariffs on Monday, and then yeah. by Tuesday, China was imposing. Yeah. Um, they respond you know, immediately, right? Right, right, and which is going to piss Trump off, and he's yep. going to do the he's going to impose more, and this this and takes China us will nowhere. Accordingly. It spirals yeah. us into this uh, down this. Yeah. Anyway, I think one of the interesting things on the refugees. The refugee issue um, is that the State Department, which normally deals with refugees, uh, is the one who, who is normally the advocate for allowing refugees in, is the one who has pushed this lower cap. And it's the the Defense Department that was arguing the most, you know, most strongly against it because they see the importance for American power and for in terms of soft power, the ability to sort of project the U.S. as a leader and how that how that matters um, I, that, that's really telling. I mean, this is, I think uh, it's a simplistic worldview to think we can just withdraw, that we can pull away from trade. We can pull away from, you know, refugees from this American leadership role. Um, it doesn't mean that we have to do it the way we've always done it, but the idea that we can just pull back and that is going to fix things is, is incredibly short-sighted, I think. Mm-hmm. Nicholas, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I agree with just about everything there. It's uh, it's an extremely simplistic idea that, well, they're not treating us right, so let's just we're going to put some tariffs up. But realistically, if you were doing the right thing, you would be talking about inter- uh, intellectual property theft, and you would have let ZTE fail when that whole thing was going on, instead of completely rescinding on that uh, that uh, threat. It's. Uh, it, it, it's it's this this bugs me so fucking much because tariffs tariffs n- <laughs> not even tariffs but the way that our relationship with China is just so complicated and they clearly like you said Phil like we said a million times on this podcast they don't play fair in any way shape or form and something needs to be done about it but having just this kind of catch all net thrown out there and thinking that this is going to solve the problem is not a good strategy you need people who are good at this particular strategy um having said that uh i i think that from a global hegemonic perspective yeah, the U.S. needs to be integrally involved in a lot of situations around the world, especially when you're talking about foreign conflict that is affecting 
uh, domestic citizens and and lifestyles and you know your ability to function as a country um, the counter to that is it's it's not necessarily as simple as just saying we need to take more people in from a to make us look good mm-hmm. um, I, I think that there needs to be reform into the system that we have um, we need uh, again I, I know I've said it a bunch of times comprehensive immigration reform to allow people a <clears throat> a better avenue to become citizens uh, and find a way to use our uh, international power to prevent these international conflicts from happening and use our economic uh, power, especially in Central and South America, to stem the tide uh, and stop the, the the flow of people coming here because there's opportunity where they're coming from in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I like all of that too. Thank I mean, you. When you think about the U.S. foreign <laughs> U.S. foreign policy since World War II, it has been that we are going to be the global hegemon that we will create this global system of trade. And, and immigration and whatnot, and there will be, we will generally benefit from that system. But there will be short-term costs to that, and sometimes that means that we don't always get perfect trade deals. Sometimes that means that we are the leader in terms of a, a bringing refugees into our country. But the net effect of this globalized system benefits the United States to a degree that outweighs any of those small-term costs. Right. And, and I think both of you mentioned this, that Trump is so short-sighted and wants to simplify this in a way that it's really, really dangerous. Like global trade is complicated. Global refugees, that it's a complicated issue. And the US is gonna take some serious hits on both of these. I also think the US could find itself drifting into a cold war with, with China over this because China is ready to respond to every action of Trump. I just I don't see any way this works out well. No. That's a society it's, that actually cares about the long term. And and they don't have to worry about democratic impulses, right? China can say, like, we're gonna play the long game. We know you're gonna be gone. We're gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. It's an example also of where I, I think about uh, Fog of War and that Robert McNamara yes. documentary. I mean, he talks about the importance of having empathy for the other side. And it, it seems like an example of that, right? You can be pissed about what China is doing and, and, and you know, they've imposed some, you know, they, they don't play fair. But they're also, you know, the 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 things that we're asking in terms of like, you know, floating their currency and doing, you know, involving those, there would be a real domestic cost to be paid. Right. And so understanding that, that that's a hard thing for China to do and trying to create a situation where there is an incentive to do that, to get China to play fair, you know, that, that it's, it, when you think of things in simple black and white, they're cheaters, they're bad, they're hurting us. It's, it's too easy to just resort to these simple solutions. Right. And, and it misses out on the, the deep complexity of, of the international system. Well put. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Yar. We should end on that. Yeah, we really should. Any better than that? I know that much. Um, yeah. If you hold on, is it going to do the thing that I wanted to do? Oh yeah, it is. Um, if you like the podcast or uh, have comments, questions, uh, anything like that, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, the beers that we try, uh, you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. We're just Barstool Politics on there, so check that out. Um, <laughs> the podcast is on SoundCloud. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Google Play Music, Stitcher. Uh, most of you guys are coming in through iTunes. Uh, so review us, uh, share us, like us, uh, do all that good stuff on there. Um, please we, like us. Please yeah. like us. Tell a friend. Tell many friends. Yeah. And we know most of you don't have many, but try. Um, <laughs> use those burgeoning social skills. Um, anything else that I missed? Predict it. Predict it. Yeah, that would be important. Yeah. Yeah, because they're awesome. Uh, yeah, like we mentioned at the start of the podcast, Predicted is a real money political prediction market, so pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Uh, our listeners uh, are getting a special promotion, so if you open an account with Predicted, uh, you will receive up to uh, $20 matched to your account if you make a $20 deposit. All you have to do is go to predicted.org slash promo slash barstool paul twenty uh, two zero. Uh, and like I said, if you uh, deposit $20, you will get up to $20 in free money, which is awesome. Yar. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Anything else, guys? No, I think we're good. National Talk Like a Pirate Day in Jar. Yar. <laughs> Yar. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.